Welcome to From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the film streaming of BYU's International Cinema. It is December 2021, and we have completed our fall International Cinema schedule. On today's program, we will discuss some of our favorite films, themes, and experiences from this semester's program. I'm Doug Weatherford, co-director of International Cinema, and I'm joined today by fellow IC co-director Mark Olivier. Hi, Mark. Hi. And IC assistant director Marilor Oscarson. Hi. Hello. Marilor. Marilor, why don't we start off with you and just uh, tell us some of the moments, your favorite moments, your favorite films from this last semester, which I think has been quite eventful. Very much so. Actually, now that you're mentioning that, maybe we need to talk a little bit about the sound. I don't know that many of our people know about the difficulties that we've had with the sound at the beginning of the semester. Totally unexpected, linked to COVID somehow. And we want to apologize. The first week was pretty pretty difficult and so completely out of our power it is we're not responsible for it but we're sorry for all the people who were looking forward like us to that first week about sound and the sound let us down so but that has been fixed and so we're thrilled to have good sound again in 250 Kimball (laughs) so that was one thing I did a survey on Instagram and maybe you participated in it and I, I thank you for it I asked, what are some of the things that you want more of at IC? So I want to start a little bit with a few comments on that because it will lead directly into my comments today about a few films from this semester. Many of you in that survey pointed out that you would like more happy films at IC. And we realized that IC, we're programming, at IC, we're programming some, some heavy films some discouraging films, some films that show a reality that is really, really difficult and different from ours. And I wanted to address this. There's a really good article that I'm gaining a lot of inspiration from, from our philosopher here at BYU, one of our philosophers, Travis Anderson. He wrote a a great article, Seeking After the Good in Art, Drama, Film, and Literature. And I recommend that reading to everyone who is listening to us. The question we can ask is, why do we enjoy going to the movies? And and one main focus is to be entertained, to be taken away from our lives, our everyday routine, and to see something else and to laugh and maybe to forget about some of the things that we go through. And yet, many of our films do that, but they achieve other things as well. They are not purely for entertainment. There is an educational value to it. Maybe our students are coming because it's an assignment. They have to. And maybe they're dreading sometimes 90 minutes with us. I mean, I'm saying with us, with an IC film or 200 minutes and what is going to happen and how it's going to change them. And the value of these films that stretch us, help us see something different that we have never been exposed to before, help us relate better to someone we will never meet, a culture, a religion, whatever it is, another approach to life. This has so much value because it it makes us grow and it grows our compassion. So I I really want to put a heartfelt plug for more heart films to come at IC. And we'll talk today about what is coming next semester. And you'll be happy to know there's a lot of lighter films next semester. But I hope that our listeners will recognize that art is important. And what is the importance of some of the films that they've seen? I'd like them to think about a film they've seen that made them laugh, completely took them out of their world and then made them forget their lives. And then another film that put them right back at the center of life because it talked about issues that are relevant to so many other people. 
we were not taken to a galaxy far away. And this is not a criticism. I love all these films. <laughs> um, but so art is not always entertaining and it, it can educate and edify and inspire. It can as well for those language students show us what a face looks like when that language is spoken and how the lips moving and what kind of accents and and how is the body moving with that language and of course listening to that new language and absorbing it a little bit more so anyway by exposing ourselves like this to art because these films are art many many of them it's not meant to just reflect our views but really to expand this appreciation for for the world. Yeah, I've always liked the quote by the late great film critic from the Chicago Sun-Times, Roger Ebert, where he said that film is an empathy generating machine. And I love to think of cinema like that because that helps you realize that you can identify with a character in a comedy. You can also identify with a character who lives a completely different life from you. And so sometimes the sad films allow us to vicariously work through something that even difficult things that hopefully we won't have to go through, but we become more empathetic and we travel to all these different parts of the world and learn to empathize with people that we've never met. You know, something I might add to that conversation is that sometimes we go in expecting to see one thing, but it's actually something else that we need to take away from a film. And I might point to the animated film documentary-like about Luis Buñuel, Buñuel and the Labyrinth of the Turtles. And of course, in the 290R International Cinema Seminar class that I taught, we talked about Buñuel tends to be a fairly controversial figure. He wanted to upset everybody in the time frame, politicians and church leaders and society in general. And the thing that I find that is a lot of fun about Luis Buñuel being a, a person of faith is that I find that Luis Buñuel, at the same time that he created films that that wanted to challenge institutionalized religion, that as a person of faith, I find often that he teaches me more about my faith than somebody who may be trying to pat me on the back. It's that critical eye that sometimes is what we need to see. And I mentioned to my class that um, a few years back, the Roman Catholic Church put out a list of 30 great films from a Catholic perspective, and that one of those films, Nazarene, was from Luis Buñuel. And I can imagine that Luis Buñuel making his films in the late 20s and the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, today would probably laugh at that idea that the Catholic Church thinks that he is teaching them something of importance. But I would encourage our audience to always look for the message that perhaps you're not expecting to see. And sometimes it's the films that we don't expect to like that teach us the most. That's right. And if you don't like a film, or if you love a film, or if you're disturbed by a film, the encouragement is to expand that discussion with someone, talk about it, see what that conversation, what it brings you and where it leads you to. So yes, I see films require efforts, that's for sure. And that's that's part of education. We work hard at bringing things that we see value in. And we always welcome conversations with our our spectators and we, we do. And that's why we, we have this podcast. We want to expand the conversation. So I hope that you know our students do that as well in our community, friends as well. So in way of this, you know, to empathize and to expand that conversation and to grow and to learn, there's a lot of films that I love from this past semester, but 
The few that I wanted to talk about more specifically is Minari. Minari was a, a really well received by our IC uh, goers. It shows the experience of an immigrant family from Korea to the Midwest, but it's a drama as well, but it has many happy tones and happy experiences in it. So this community cultural assimilation story about a family, but as well about aging, this brought me at the heart of what it may mean to be an immigrant. I mean, I'm from France. I came to BYU. I was accepted to a university already. I can't compare my experience with a Korean American family, but I can I can relate. And this really helped me see with different eyes. And I'm very grateful for this film for the the cultural richness of it. Because not only was I better versed, if I may say, in American West uh, culture, but as well in Korean American culture. So that film was was really important for me. Good morning, a Japanese film by Ozu. That film was very entertaining for me, but it touched on on real fear of like this generational gap between parents and and children and the lack of communication, the fear of change as well. We have these two little boys so ready to move on and and grow and embrace modernity with this television coming that they want into, into the home and the parents really resisting this change. And that I'm a mom. And yes, I can I can I can see this in my life with my own children and the internet. So interestingly enough, this film from 1959, if I remember, is true to my life today. And I was just delighted to see that even though a culture could be really different from the culture that that I know as a as a French American, if I may like <laughs> point myself like this, was actually very close to what I I experience as a mom. And then the last one is Amour. And this is like a French film made by a British filmmaker. And that film was running so slow. And I was like, okay, not much is happening, but I'm enjoying the I'm enjoying the the, the acting. I think those actors were absolutely fantastic. And the production and, and the camera work. And I was really, really drawn into the story. And then that act happened and it left me with tears. Like I cried like in no no other films I cried in that film and it brought me directly at the heart of aging and some of the most dire issues that otherwise even though you know I have grandparents and and aging parents and I would have not understood the same way I was in that story at the heart of it yes so that's that's what I have to bring to the podcast today is not being afraid of spending an hour and a half two hours that are going to be challenging but what what do you get out of it and furthering that that conversation? Great, thank you very much. And before I uh, perhaps add something to this, to this, Mark, mm-hmm. uh, maybe you could. You've been here for not a very long uh, no, time. No, I'm and the so, newbie. Uh, why don't you uh, real quickly introduce mm-hmm. yourself as well, and then maybe tell us one film that you really like this semester, even though you've just come on board in the okay. last few weeks. All right. Yeah, so Marco Olivier, I'm in the French and Italian department at BYU, and I have kind of strange range of interests because I'm originally an a scholar of 18th century French literature, but I kind of over time started to write a lot about film. And I have a book that came out during the pandemic in 2020 called Household Horror, Cinematic Fear and the Secret Life of Everyday Objects. And that is actually going to lead me into the film that stands out to me. I saw it at Sundance originally. I even talked to the director afterwards because I was in the middle of writing my book. And I have a chapter in my book on the shower curtain from 
the shower scene in Psycho. And so 7852, Hitchcock shower scene, which at Sundance, they, the only title was 7852. And his producer said, nobody's going to know what that means. And he said, yes, they will oh. if, they're, if, they're, <laughs> if they're devout yeah. fans. So what I love about that is the focus on just one thing. And I could watch a hundred movies that instruct me more about, you know, that teach me more about one scene. So the shower curtain, the 7852, of course, relates to the setups and the, and the cuts. And it's a scene about slashing, about cutting and editing itself is a form of violence. And I think that's something that people realize way back at the beginning of Soviet montage and Buñuel, as a matter of fact, right? Famously, Ancien Andalou that has the very gross out scene of a, somebody cutting an eye. That really struck me. I, and also in the chapter that I wrote, I decided to, I, I think this may have made it in there, but I researched and debunked the myth about shower curtain sales. <laughs> um, some people think that that actually because of the psycho shower scene that people started buying more clear shower curtains where they could see through in case an enemy there, or maybe glass or something. And that's a myth. <laughs> so that's <laughs> my contribution of research that I can give you is, is that's a myth. But I think, Marty Laura, you were saying something earlier when we were talking about that. Well, yeah, I reacted quite strongly to this documentary. Well, first of all, the shower I took after watching this, I was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, that's the water. Anyway, it is interesting that the whole documentary is about the, sorry for being graphic, but the cutting off of a woman in parts. Mm-hmm. And yet not many women were involved in the making of that documentary. So I missed that feminine voice, that feminine analysis of the scene. Yeah. Now there is a really famous who they could have had, but I don't think they did. Did they have, there's a really famous analysis of the shower curtain scene with a film theory called suture theory. And the suture theory basically talks about how you as a spectator are stitched into the film through cuts where you're put in one position, this position of one uh, character, say, and then in a reverse shot, the position of another character. What's interesting about that theme, Laura Mulvey, I think, is the one who wrote about it. She talks about how the cut to the shower head and the water coming down disrupts our expectations of identifying with a person. You actually have shower head point of view for a moment, you know, versus her. And it's, all of these cuts are disorienting. And they also create a space of horror because we're constantly searching for attachment and meaning and the film just denies it and it makes us fill it in. And of course, I think most people who watch scary movies know that it's scarier to not see the monster often than it is when you finally see it. And this is something that makes you think you've seen more violence than you actually have. It makes you think you've seen more nudity than you actually have. So it's a really great example of how horror is created through edits. And you just brought that female analysis or the the analysis from a woman, uh, better say, that I was missing. (laughs) Great. And uh, I think that those of you who are IC fans will imagine that in future semesters that we're going to have a good offering of international horror and international <laughs> cinema. I'm sure that's yeah. going yes, to be the case. You will. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting that uh, we uh, chose to show La Llorona this semester, which uh, uh, Mark Olivier didn't have a part in choosing, but Marilor and myself and Mark Yamada did. And that was a great horror film that I think follows along it. that line of one of the comments that I got from some of my students who saw the film was that it wasn't what they were expecting. 
in part because the film isn't really about horror in the classic scream tradition. It's really about the horror of the politics of the Guatemalan Civil War. And so the story of La Llorona really takes backstage until towards the end of the movie, but just a tremendous movie. And my guess is that it was probably one of the most popular movies shown at International Cinema this past semester. But the thing that I would like to use that to bounce to one of my favorite moments this past semester is this presence of so many indigenous voices. That was a theme that I really was interested in doing. And we did have a week-long collection of films that uh, included films in Radamuri from northern Mexico, in Inu from Canada, in Navajo from the Navajo Nation here in the in the uh, state of Utah, and from Aymara from Peru. Uh, but we also had a number of other films, including La Llorona, that included a number of dialogues in Cachiquel Maya, and also the film Guarani, which was a great film that is shot between Paraguay and Argentina. And then we also showed The Mission, which also includes some Guarani. So I didn't quite count the number there, but you can tell that we had a real celebration of indigenous voices this semester. And I really thought that that was important, especially now when in Latin America, with the new sensibilities and new technologies, there are a number of individuals, some indigenous, some not, who are telling new stories. And from Argentina and Peru and the state of Utah and everywhere in between in Canada and Alaska, we're seeing an explosion, I think, of films that celebrate indigenous stories and tell indigenous stories and often using indigenous languages. And that was one of my favorite things to see this semester. Why don't we preview next semester and just uh, we'll start with uh, with Mark, uh, who is now been with us these last few weeks as we've been struggling to put together the schedule and we're almost there. And maybe he can give us an idea of some of the things that you can look forward to in winter 2022. Yeah, you know, one thing that's great is some of these themes that were being brainstormed were before I came in, but one of them that I, in fact, didn't choose, but is perfect for me is music and dance. As a former young ambassador at BYU and a former music dance theater major, I love it. And we're going to get more of that happy that Mari Laura was talking about people wanting with exciting music and dance documentaries that will teach you more. I don't want to give it all away, but one that really stands out to me is a Russian musical called Hipsters. And I mean... I think people expect sadness from a Russian film, but instead you have this exuberant musical about people who, you know, who are rebelling against the status quo with their American musical tastes. And it's really great. Another theme is belonging. And so that will nicely coincides with the creation of BYU's Center for Belonging. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of exciting things. I don't know what either of you want to mention a theme that stands out to you? We're bringing back a more, well, with COVID, you know, things were different, not because we chose them like that, but we're bringing back a more systematic documentary series. So you can expect a documentary, a weekly documentary. I'm looking forward to all those films about, about music and building bridges as well with our belonging series. I think we can safely announce our 
encore films. I mean, you mentioned La Llorona. Yeah. That's that's we're going to show it again the first week of the semester, the first weekend of the semester. So uh, January seventh and eighth, if I might, my dates are right. And then Minari is the other one. So things to to look forward to if you've missed those two films. They'll be playing again at the beginning of next semester. And if you if you haven't seen either of those films, you really need to watch them both. They're just a amazing yeah. films. And uh, like we've already mentioned, La Llorona is not necessarily a happy film, but it's so important to tell an important uh, part of Guatemala's history. I just uh, perhaps will point out a theme that I'm really interested in. We're calling it a sui generis of films that defy genre. And I, I don't know why, but I've always had just kind of this uh, connection with films that seem to go nowhere, you know, that a lot of times my students won't like, but I'll love. And I think that if you have a, an artistic spirit, if you are willing to challenge traditional genres, that these will be films that you will really like. And two that I might point out that I really am excited about is about Endlessness, a Roy Anderson film uh, who... Uh, made me a huge fan with his songs from the second floor that we showed not uh, too long ago here at International Cinema, and a Portuguese film called Vitalina Varela, which is one that we've had a number of conversations about, in part because it seems like there's almost no light in the movie and very little happens. But it's such an amazing film. I told Mark and Marilor here that, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether you'll like the movie or not, but I can think of few filmic experience that I have just utterly enjoyed more. Nearly two-hour film where it just seems like everything is different from what you expect. So I hope that some people will go and see those two films and enjoy them. I'm really excited about that category as well because you go to international cinema for that. As I was an undergrad, I used to go looking for something that wasn't like anything I would see anywhere else. And so I, I love that idea of really unique voices. And I'm crossing my fingers. I can't promise anything, but there's a chance we'll show a movie that I like that I don't have a single friend who likes it. Everyone I know hates it. I'm not going to tell you because we haven't put it on the <laughs> schedule officially yet. But that's the kind of material, something that will stretch your imagination. And I guess one other thing I just wanted to point out is it's going to be the, the 100th anniversary of the film Nosferatu. And that film, even though it's from 1922, I remember first seeing it and it was a revelation. I had no idea that silent films could be so creative and spooky <laughs> so that's one of my favorite movies great and one word about vitalina varela because i saw it at uh, sundance a couple of years ago when we were still in person before everything shut down with former co-director machiamara and it was the last film of the day meaning that we got out after midnight and we had had a full day of like festival and then work as well because because we're local we still have work and family it's not like we're away in another city where we focus on our film watching no we have full life plus full on Sundance film festival and it's exhausting so that film we both came out and thought Wow. <laughs> so very impressed. But as well, I have to admit to our audience that I did fall asleep a few times. So <laughs> one promise we can make is that we will not schedule it last of the day. So you can go to it very fresh and very attentive and put all your attention in it because it is a beautiful film. Great. Thank you. And uh, hopefully you'll like it like I did. 
And yeah, I think you can see that uh, we're very excited about the semester that's wrapping up and about the one that's coming forward. Uh, thank you, Marilor. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for joining us today on From the Booth. This podcast is produced by the International Cinema Program at BYU and supported by the BYU College of Humanities. We are solely responsible for the opinions and ideas expressed here as they do not represent any official position adopted by the university or its supporting institutions. We thank our producer, Devin Glenn, our sound engineer, Marina Hickstrom-Pratt, and Johnny Stallings, who composed our podcast soundtrack. Visit ic.byu.edu for information on BYU's international cinema, and we look forward to another great semester starting in January 2022.